Welcome to Quick Take. I'm your host, John Sherrod, and this is your weekly Apple Focus podcast. Whatever's happening in the world of Apple each week, we're going to talk about it. This is episode eight, but since I haven't released a podcast in about six months, this is kind of a reset of the show. And this is a great time to be starting the show back because next week, Apple is hosting its annual Worldwide Developers Conference, which is usually just referred to as WWDC. And that's going to be my main focus this week. But first, I thought I'd take just a moment to reintroduce the show. Uh, A lot of tech industry podcasts are quite long, uh, often an hour and a half to two hours or more. And there's nothing wrong with a long-form podcast like that. Uh, Of course, it really lets you go in-depth. But it also takes up a lot of the listener's time. Uh, I listen to a lot of different podcasts, and I want to listen to a lot of different podcasts, different topics, different hosts, different perspectives. And my feeling has always been that the ideal podcast length is between 30 and 60 minutes. So that's one of the reasons this show is called Quick Take, because my aim is to keep the show to around half an hour in length each week. We'll see how that goes. A lot of times I think I can uh, you know, only spend a few minutes talking about this, and I wind up spending way longer than I planned to. So we'll, we'll kind of see how that goes. Another of my ground rules is no politics. And of course, you know, there may be a story related to Apple that has a political component. And of course, in that situation, it would be necessary to discuss the political angle. Um, But there's a lot of podcasts that kind of get unnecessarily political, and I'd like to avoid that on this show. Also, I intend to keep this show free of bad language. I want this to be a show that is family friendly and that you wouldn't mind having on when your kids are in the room. So with all that said, let's dive into this week's show. So as I mentioned, uh, this coming week, starting June 5th, uh, this coming Monday, Apple is kicking off its annual Worldwide Developers Conference, and that's pretty significant for a couple reasons. Um, you know, if you followed Apple for any length of time, you know that one of the words that's always associated with Apple is secrecy. Apple doesn't uh, talk a lot about things they're working on. They don't, you know, come out with concept products a lot like some companies do, Um if you look at a company like uh, Google, they, they always seem to be very much a, you know, let's have tons of different teams working on random projects and let's kind of introduce things and kind of see what sticks and catches on. And so you'll have lots of different products coming out from Google and sometimes they catch on and, and become big things and sometimes they don't and kind of fade away. And, uh, and of course, you know, every company is going to try things out that may or may not work. But, um, you know, Apple seems to be much more deliberate about the products that it works on, and it only talks about them when it's ready to. And so you don't, you don't see a lot of uh, blog posts from the company about what they're working on or social media posts from uh, executives. So there's really just a handful of times each year where Apple hosts an event where they have a keynote speech um, you know, presented by Apple CEO Tim Cook and several other uh, senior vice presidents and other vice presidents working on products in the company. And this is one of those times. Uh, WWDC happens every year kind of around this time, um, kind of right at the beginning of June. And they've been doing it uh, for years and years and years. And uh, it's the main focus of the Worldwide Developers Conference, as the name implies, is it's for developers. They actually, um, you know, rent out a bunch of convention center space. And I'll kind of come back to that because there's an interesting thing about that this year. Um, and at some point, several weeks before the conference kicks off, they open up sort of a ticket purchase lottery because they only have so much space and so many, uh, people on hand, uh, to deal with the crowds that are going to show up. So 
you know, something like around 5,000 people wind up getting a ticket, 5,000 developers get a ticket to this thing, people from all over the world, and there's way more demand than there is supply for tickets, so they have a lottery system, and people have to, you know, once you hear, if you're trying to get tickets to WWDC, once you hear that tickets are on sale, you, you, you know, you kind of go into, put your name in the lottery and, uh, and hope that you have the opportunity to pay for a, a ticket, and it's something like $1,500, so it's not something that, you know, just your average Apple enthusiast is going to buy a ticket for. This is something that, you know, it's definitely for developers and, you know, software companies pay for their software engineers to come out. And of course, the public mostly sees the big Apple keynote on Monday morning um, uh, because, uh, you know, that's, you know, again, the whole show is for developers, but that keynote in particular is definitely delivered with the understanding that there's a bigger, broader consumer audience watching to see what the latest product from Apple is going to be. Um, but, you know, the developer conference is going on for the rest of that week. And, you know, once Apple introduces particularly new software tools uh, at the Monday keynote, they're going to have, you know, the, the developers who are in attendance are going to have the opportunity to spend time um, in breakout sessions about those new technologies plus existing Apple software technologies to help them, um, you know, create better apps for, for all of us to use. And... One of the, the really neat things about it, if you're a developer, is that Apple has uh, a whole bunch of its, its own internal software engineers present and on hand to actually have one-on-one conversations in many cases or lead you know, small breakout sessions. So it's a really valuable time. If you're a developer, it's a really valuable experience, uh, probably for many people well worth the, you know, the ticket and travel expenses involved in getting to do this. Well, I mentioned I'd come back to discuss the venue because, um, you know, for years and years and years, the Worldwide Developers Conference was held at the San Jose Convention Center. Um, And that's probably mostly because uh, that's right down the road from Cupertino, California, where Apple's headquarters are. And then in 2003, they first started hosting the conference uh, up in San Francisco at the Moscone Conference Center, Convention Center, excuse me. And it's been there for uh, all the years since. But this year, they've moved it back to San Jose, to the San Jose Convention Center. And uh, that's interesting. It certainly uh, breaks the pattern that they've been doing. So if you've been attending every year, it's, especially if you've been attending every year and have never been uh, back uh, when they held it in San Jose, it's going to, you know, you're going to have to look for a different hotel probably and make different arrangements. And, uh, and that's kind of interesting. Um, you know, whether or not you're someone who would enjoy that probably depends on how much you enjoy being around a big city. Uh, personally, I would probably prefer to attend a conference like that in San Jose because it's a little bit laid back and I'm just someone who's not personally super comfortable spending time in big cities, but, um, everybody's a little different as far as that goes. And, you know, why they did that, um, it's hard to say. I think probably they did it because San Jose is just a lot closer to Apple's headquarters. And so it's a lot easier for, Apple's engineers to take the whole day or a part of the day, depending on, you know, what they're speaking on, you know, to come over to the convention center and, um, and spend time with the developers. And, you know, there's different speculation, you know, why they moved it to San Francisco in the first place. Maybe it was, uh, maybe there was just more hotel availability there for developers, or maybe at that time Apple wanted or felt the need to, um, kind of be on a bigger stage. And maybe now they, you know, feel they don't have to, 
you know, there's not like a publicity benefit to them so much for this because they know that, you know, people are going to watch, the press is going to watch and come to this anyway. But it's certainly more convenient for them. And, and of course, they've got their new campus, Apple Park, opening here very soon. And, um, you know, who knows, maybe some of the press will get to attend that and see what that looks like. We'll see. But uh, we're, you know, all of us who are close Apple watchers are very much looking forward to watching the big keynote on Monday, and they will be streaming that live, so you can uh, watch it uh, on the website. If you go to apple.com Monday morning, they'll have, you know, a, a, a big thing right there on the main page. You can click on to watch it. And, uh, you know, as far as what are they going to announce, so that's what we really want to kind of talk and kind of discuss. Of course, Apple hasn't made any kind of announcements about what they're going to talk about, so... Um, you know, whatever we, we might think they're going to talk about, it's just speculation. But you can look back to what they've done uh, with this particular event in the past and, and make some informed speculation. You know, first of all, it, it is a developer's conference. So this is uh, the kind of event that um, sometimes Apple releases new hardware uh, at, but is primarily focused around software. And of course, uh, you know, for you know, the first uh, part of Apple's corporate existence, uh, essentially when we talked about software, we were talking about the Macintosh software, what Apple now refers to as Mac OS. Um, but of course, you know, since then, uh, Apple has, you know, introduced the iPhone and the iPad and Apple Watch and Apple TV. So you've got all these other products and all these different uh, OSs or variants of the OS. And in many ways, iOS, which runs on your iPhone, is you know, started out as a variant of, of the Mac OS operating system, but has definitely gone its own separate way and is, you know, geared toward touch instead of mouse and keyboard interface. But we've got iOS for iPhone, iPad, and don't forget the iPod Touch. Apple does still make that. Uh, we've got Watch OS for the watch, and we've got TV OS for the Apple TV. And so... You know, what we'll definitely see on Monday in the keynote is the discussion of Mac OS and iOS. Those are some things you can always count on. And those will be the times where, uh, you know, Apple's going to go over um, the big new features for those platforms. And, and uh, usually they'll, they'll have, you know, something around like, you know, 10 new features that, they'll, that are kind of the big features that they'll talk about that are, are the marketing-heavy features. So if they do... Um, some kind of big redesign of one of the operating systems or uh, some big change or redesign of one of the apps um, if they introduce you know, new uh, technologies that let developers uh, do some things they haven't been able to do before, if there were to be some uh, enhancements or updates to Siri. You know, some of those big things that um, not only developers but in particular consumers can kind of latch on to and say, aha, this is what Apple announced today. Those are the kind of things that they're going to highlight. And um, let's talk about the Mac first. Uh, of course, it's been an interesting uh, year, uh, to say the least. Uh, certainly an interesting uh, eight or nine months or so uh, for fans of the Mac because, and this is something that was uh, a heavy focus of the podcast, uh, you know, last October through December when I did the first seven episodes, because we, we, we were coming off of this time where um, it had been a couple of years since the MacBook Pro had gotten any, any updates. And we'd gotten to this point where it was coming up to around four years since the Mac Pro um, 
you know, Apple's workstation tower desktop computer had gotten any updates. And so, you know, that was driving concern among longtime fans of the Mac about, you know, is Apple still serious about the Mac as a platform? Are they still, you know, interested in releasing new Mac hardware or are they trying to focus all of their attention on iOS and the iPad and that sort of thing? So, you know, a problem almost entirely of Apple's own making because they just had not uh, been doing regular updates to the Mac hardware. And that was just causing people's speculations and fears to kind of run wild. Um, In October, Apple did come out with a pretty major update to the MacBook Pro. Of course, you might remember that um, it got uh, smaller and lighter, which is kind of controversial. I like that because it's a lot easier to tote one around, but um, it, but it also, you know, limits uh, what Apple can do from a performance standpoint because, you've, you know, the thinner you make it, the more challenging it is to keep it cool. And so you've got to have uh, processors and memory that, you know, are, use less energy but are still powerful at the same time. Um, and, you know, also alongside of that, the, the big, uh, you know, feature Apple was pushing was uh, the touch bar where they replace the function keys with a uh, multi-touch bar, kind of like the multi-touch screen on the Apple Watch really is what it really reminded a lot of people of. Um, so when you're in a text editing app, you, your touch bar will change to give you things like you know text color and you know bold italic underline and font size and different things like that, whereas if you flip over to a photo editing app, uh, the touch bar is going to change and give you tools right there for editing photos. Um, and alongside of that, they brought Touch ID over to the Mac, which is something that had previously, uh, you know, you, you've, you've had that on the iPhone for a few generations now where you don't have to type in the passcode. You can just use your fingerprint to unlock it. And that was a welcome addition uh, to the Mac as well. Um, but not to rehash everything, you can kind of go back and listen to some of those earlier podcasts to kind of get into um, the meat of some of the controversy that the new Mac Pro generated and and then of course they you know they updated the MacBook Pro but there was still no discussion of the Mac Pro uh, or new iMacs and and those were some of the things that a lot of uh, Apple watchers uh, had been watching closely and waiting for news of for a long time so there was still just this lingering question of you know does Apple still uh, still interested in the Mac Pro is it still interested in you know pro creative users and that particular market a market that had always been one of uh, a source of some of Apple's most passionate fans. And uh, so, you know, several weeks ago, Apple did something that was, while not entirely unprecedented, was pretty rare in that they invited a few members of the press to their campus, uh, to one of their design labs, to actually talk about the state of the Mac and what they had uh, planned for the future, particularly with regard to professional Uh, Mac customers. And in that briefing, they announced that later this year in 2017, they're going to be releasing new iMacs, um, including some configurations aimed at pros. And they didn't get into a lot of specifics there. So we're going to have to kind of wait and see what that means exactly. Um, But that was encouraging news. And uh, to a lot of people's cheers, mine included, they also announced that they would be releasing a new version of the Mac Pro Tower Computer. And they kind of said, you know, 
you know, we came out with uh, the Mac Pro in 2013, big redesign, um, affectionately or not so affectionately often referred to as the trash can Mac. I'm sure Apple loves that, but that's what a lot of a lot of people of the community took to calling it because it kind of looks a little bit like a trash can. And, you know, Apple always has sort of uh, fancied itself as a company that, you know, skates to where the puck is going in the sense that, you know, that was a, a Wayne Gretzky quote that, you know, Steve Jobs had used in the past to talk about, you know, don't skate to where the puck is, skate to where it's going. And the application to Apple is, you know, let's try to predict where the industry's going and, you know, gear ourselves and our products to meet that, not to where it is right now. And I think, you know, Apple really tried to do that with the 2013 Trash Can Mac Pro, and it just was not the right move. They skated to where they thought the puck was going, and it did not go in that direction. And, you know, so that's frustrating. And, of course, going four years without any sort of update to that product whatsoever uh, was frustrating to Mac fans. But um, it was, you know, refreshing to hear from Apple that they understood what the mistake was and that they're aiming to correct it. And so what they said was that they are planning to release a new Mac Pro, uh, a new modular Mac Pro. Um, but they say they kind of made it sound like it wasn't going to be ready this year. So that's encouraging to know that those things are on the horizon. Um, although a little disappointing to know that we're going to have to wait until at least 2018, unless they're able to make it happen faster to see the new Mac Pro. So, uh, we're almost certainly not going to see uh, a Mac Pro unveiled at WWDC, although that would be a wonderful surprise. And we probably won't see new iMacs um, at, at this event, although, again, that would be a nice surprise. Uh, I do think, and there's there's some rumors and speculation out there to support this, that uh, we may actually see updates to the MacBook, you know, Apple's uh, smallest, more consumer-focused laptop, because it's been, um, I believe, over a year since that was updated. And it's even possible we might see some uh, some spec bumps for the MacBook Pro. And that was just introduced in October. And so it's not going to surprise me if it's not updated at this event. But it's also not going to surprise me if it is updated at this event. Um, and if it is, you know, you're going to see some people complain that they just bought a, a new MacBook Pro in October and already there's a spec bump. But I think Apple, I think it would be great if Apple went ahead and updated it. Because the big thing that all of us were frustrated about over the last couple of years was that the MacBook Pro and other Macs had, had gone what we felt was far too long without an update. So I would rather see, um, you know, regular updates yearly or even more frequently as Apple's able to, um, you know, spec bump these things. So what that would look like, I don't know. Of course, I think a lot of people would love to see a 32 gigabyte RAM option. Currently, 16 gigabytes is the most you can put in there. So we're going to have to wait and see, but I think that there's at least a good chance that we'll see spec-bumped MacBook Pros, which would be exciting. As far as Mac OS itself, it's, it's hard to say what they're going to do there. It would, it would be kind of neat to see uh, some kind of big update, but I think more likely is we'll just see kind of the continual evolutionary uh, updates that we've kind of seen with Mac OS in the last several years, uh, hopefully just focusing on performance improvements and just continuing to, to tweak and make things better. Of course, we'll we'll learn uh, next week what Apple's going to call the new version of macOS. Of course, it'll be version 10.13, but for the last several versions, Apple's been using California Place names to be the kind of marketing name. So the most recent version is macOS Sierra. Seems like they've been really focused on Northern California names. So <laughs> I'm going to keep hoping for Hollywood until it happens or 
Apple comes up with a different naming scheme, but uh, I, I kind of doubt that would happen. That kind of sounds too flashy, but I'm going to keep holding out hope. So next is iOS, and uh, there was a, a period of several years where Apple used the Worldwide Developers Conference to release new iPhone hardware, but for the last several years, they've done that in September instead. So I'm not expecting a new iPhone hardware. I, I think that's probably going to stay on the September time frame scale. Uh, but of course, there will be a new version of iOS, iOS 11. And, uh, you know, we're going to have to kind of wait and see what Apple has in store for that. Um, and there's been some talk of, uh, uh, you know, a um, user interface redesign or at least enhancement for Apple Music. And that wouldn't be surprising since Apple's putting a lot of focus on that. Um, I and, and many others would love to see some specific software improvements for iPad. Um, you know, improvements that would continue to make the iPad a more robust platform. In the past, Apple's talked about the iPad as sort of the computing platform of the future. And, you know, it, it iPad kind of started out with a bang, but we've kind of seen that the sales trend line for it has not really gone in the direction that Apple wants it to. They're still selling, you know, a large number of them in terms of raw numbers, but, you know, the trend line has, has not been exciting for that. So it'd be great to see some things that would maybe make the iPad a more exciting platform and continue pushing it in a direction where we could conceive of it as being the platform of the future. You know, there's a lot of things that, you know, you, you can do on a Mac that you, you can't do on an iPad. So, for example, you know, you, you can now do split screen on the iPad and have, uh, you know, two apps on the screen at the same time, but you can't drag and drop um, a file from one app to another. And so that's one thing they could do. You know, they could also... Uh, I know a lot of people would love to see uh, multi-user support, and that could be good for both professional use and for home use, especially for home use. You can see if, if several family members are sharing one iPad, having the ability to switch to different user accounts like you can on a Mac uh, would be very nice. So you can kind of have things set up the way you like in your account, and someone else in the family can have it set up the way they like it. Uh, so we'll kind of see uh, if uh, if Apple does put more of a big focus on iPad. It would certainly be really nice to see. Uh, watch OS. Um, it's, it's kind of hard to predict what Apple might do here. Again, I'm not expecting new Apple watch hardware, uh, until this fall possibly, you know, if not alongside the new iPhone at the same event, um, they'll, you know, they, they would have one maybe in October, but either way fall, you know, falls when I expect there to be a new, uh, Apple watch itself. But it's hard to imagine what they'll do with WatchOS 4. Uh, you know, WatchOS 3 was a big update because it was, you know, it, re it had really given Apple time, as it had been about a year and a half since the Apple Watch was introduced, to really see, okay, how are people actually using this? How did what we expect it to do line up with how people are using it? And they did kind of refocus the, the interface um, and really kind of doubled down on fitness. They really saw that a lot of people were using it for fitness tracking. So we saw a lot of improvements there. And we saw a lot of performance enhancements for people uh, using the first generation Apple Watch. Where, um, you know, they made it so that you can kind of pick your favorite apps in what they call the dock. So kind of like you have the dock in Mac OS with your favorite apps that you use the most frequently. You can set uh, your most frequently used uh, watch OS apps in the dock on your Apple Watch. And those apps are sort of kept in memory so that when you go and switch over to one, it loads up very quickly. Whereas before, anytime you tapped on an app on Apple Watch, 
it took several seconds to load before it, it finally came up. And oftentimes you'd have to, you know, put your wrist down and re-raise it to get the screen to come back on because it would take that long for it to happen. So uh, they made massive improvements to performance in Watch OS 3 uh, to the point where, you know, I'm still actually using the first generation Apple Watch, um, even though uh, Apple Watch Series 2 uh, added some incredible new features, GPS, much better water resistance, etc. Um, you know, the performance enhancements they did through Watch OS 3 were enough to, to make my even original first generation Apple Watch Sport still feel, you know, fresh and spry. So, uh, you know, as long as Watch OS 4 still runs on my Apple Watch, I'm probably good to go for a while there. But um, I, I have no idea what to expect with Watch OS. There have been some interesting um, rumors about Apple getting into uh, non-invasive glucose monitoring. Um, with even Apple CEO Tim Cook recently announcing that he'd been wearing a, a glucose monitor. Um, you know, if Apple really could deliver some type of non-invasive glucose monitor, whether that's through the Apple Watch somehow or some other wearable device, uh, man, that would be just a game changer. That would just change so many lives of people who, with diabetes, who have to, to you know, to prick their finger to, to do a blood sample. Um, but that's the kind of thing that, you know, is not something you can do in software alone. There would have to be some kind of hardware component. So, whether or not that really is something Apple's working on or whether that rumor is even true. Uh, we're, we're, it's probably not something we're going to find out about next week, but that's certainly a tantalizing thing to think about for the future. If that's the kind of thing that if Apple could deliver, uh, would just be a game changer for so many people. TVOS. Um, Apple introduced the fourth generation Apple TV in fall of 2015. And... Not perfect by any stretch. It did, however, deliver a lot of things that a lot of us who are big Apple TV fans have been waiting for for a long time, like an app store where you can choose exactly what you want to have on your Apple TV instead of Apple choosing for you and pushing things down. Um, so certainly love to see continued uh, improvements there. You know, the, one of the more recent updates Apple did, uh, they announced what they called single sign-on, where in theory you could sign on with your cable credentials. So if you're in theory, again, if you're a Comcast customer, you could sign on with your Comcast credentials, and that would automatically unlock um, all the apps you have installed that tie into that. So like the ABC app, for example, if you watch a show on ABC, instead of having to sign in to each of these different TV networks apps, you could sign in once in your Apple TV, and it would uh, just propagate to all those other apps. And that sounds amazing in theory. In practice, however, they've been able to deliver this for only a small handful of mostly obscure and regional providers. So, for example, Comcast is not in there, uh, which is, you know, one of the biggest, if not the biggest service providers in, in the country. So, you know, I certainly expected, okay, maybe there's a few smaller players at first, but over time Apple adds more and more, and it just kind of seems like that has not happened. So I'd love for Apple to, to announce bigger partnerships there. I would love for Apple to uh, have some kind of announcement next week about a partnership with a big game developer. The one that I want to see more than any other is uh, Square, uh, the company that is famous for role-playing games like Final Fantasy. Um, Square does have one or two apps. Uh, I believe there is a Tomb Raider app that they developed for Apple TV. But that's, some, that's an area where I feel like uh, you know, the controls would work very well. It's not a, a, a complex game from a control standpoint, so that would work very well on Apple TV. Uh, I would love to see 
a, a new Apple TV that supports 4K. You know, when Apple introduced the current Apple TV in 2015, 4K was kind of just getting off the ground and it wasn't really essential then. But now, you know, it's something that is becoming more and more prevalent and you just about can't buy a new TV that, that's not 4K ready. So, uh, you know, it's time for Apple to release a 4K enabled Apple TV and 4K video in the iTunes store. Now, I kind of don't think they'll do that at WWDC. That feels like, again, a fall event. Um, but I'd love to be surprised on that one. And, I, you know, again, this is probably not something I would expect to see at, at, at WWDC next week, but I still want to see Apple develop their own game controller for Apple TV. What I do hope we see, and that's more likely to see at, at the developer conference next week, is that Apple makes some big enhancements to the TV app. Um, again, in the most recent Apple TV uh, software update, they announced an app called TV. And it's kind of weird because it almost seems like it's the replacement for the home screen, but it's really a separate app that you go to. And by default, when you press the home button on your Apple TV remote, it takes you into this TV app where it keeps track of you know, movies you're watching in the iTunes store, plus TV shows that you're watching in iTunes or through other apps like, um, again, the ABC app, for example. If you start watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on the ABC app, it keeps track of that in the TV app. In my experience, though, it's, it, it's not worked well. It's been very clunky, especially if um, you know, you're not a full cable subscriber. You don't get a lot of the benefits of it. So, and it also doesn't tie into a service like Netflix. So I hope that they are able to make more partnerships with more content providers and just make that experience more seamless. It's a lot of potential. You can kind of see where they want to take it, but it's not there yet. Also, there have been heavy rumors that Apple's finally going to work out a deal with Amazon to bring Amazon Prime Video to the Apple TV, which has kept a lot of people from purchasing the Apple TV. And also, Amazon has a policy where if a streaming you know box doesn't support Prime, they don't sell it in on the Amazon store. And so uh, they took the Apple TV off of their store. And, you know, that's, that's, that's some pretty hardball. That's, that's their right to do, obviously. But I know that uh, Apple would love to see that get back for sale on Amazon because that's just become one of the biggest places that we shot for anything these days. So if they can make that happen, that I think would be huge and really help the Apple TV, um, you know, rise in terms of customer mind share. So, that's a look at um, what we might see and what we might not see in terms of Apple's big software platforms. Uh, a couple more things I'd like to see. Uh, I'd like to see more focus on HomeKit. Uh, that's something that probably most consumers aren't aware of, but you know, the smart home is becoming very quietly more and more of a thing. You're seeing more and more products um, from thermostats to door locks to window shades to light bulbs that you can control from a smartphone. And Apple's implementation and integration system is called HomeKit. And, uh, you know, it's very cool. I'd like to see Apple do a little bit more. And so hopefully we'll see some updates and enhancements there. And then uh, I kind of say this every year, but I want to see more uh, news about Apple Pay as far as expansion into new retail partners. Um, I love using Apple Pay, particularly on my Apple Watch, when you can go in there and just, you know, double tap the the button on the side of the Apple Watch and just hold it up to the reader and pay for something. Um, it, it's just, you don't, you don't ever want to go back to, you know, paying for something using like the chip debit card, uh, for example. Uh, Apple Pay is just so much more seamless and it's very secure and private. Uh, so uh, 
whenever I have the opportunity to use it, I do. And uh, it still sometimes surprises and blows away the, the, the person working at the counter who just hasn't seen somebody pay that way. But in the U.S. in particular, there's just not a lot of, of uh, retailers who are rolling out the contactless payment systems like that. So I'd love to see Apple announce more support and more retail partners for that. Um, and then there, you know, Wildcard, um, you know, there's been a lot of talk about the sort of um, assisted speaker. So think Amazon Echo or Google's Home product where you have a you know, a little box or cylinder in your house that you just speak to, kind of like uh, Captain Kirk would speak to the, the ship computer in Star Trek. And, uh, of course, Apple has Siri and has had that for several years where you can speak to your phone. And now it's as simple as saying, hey, well, you know, I'm not going to say the rest because I don't want your, your phone to go off. But you can talk directly to Siri via Apple TV, uh, iPhone, uh, Apple Watch, now Mac. Um, but Apple has so far not come out with uh, a Siri speaker, a Siri standalone device that you can just talk to in the air. And I don't know. I, I'm not someone who is sold on the need for a product like that. Um, I, I don't know. The, these products from Amazon and Google have gotten a lot of buzz in the tech press, but I just don't think that um, this is something that most consumers really have on their minds. Um, you know, and, and if you look at sort of the reasons why these other companies do it, of course, you know, Amazon mostly wants you to be able to, you know, kind of break down all the barriers that you have to shopping on Amazon. So if you can just talk to your Amazon speaker and ask it to order something for you, well, that's a big boon to them. I and mean, that's not the only reason, but that's a, that's a prime, that's a, you know, a primary motivating factor for uh, getting more people using their device. And Google, you know, they collect data about consumer habits and use those to, um, you know, enhance their advertising efforts since they make uh, most of their money, if, if, if not most of it, then certainly a large chunk of it through advertising. And I'm not saying that they're giving your data to advertise, but, but they're, you know, aggregating and learning how consumers, you know, everything that they can about consumers' lives to, you know, better, better target advertising. And so that's certainly uh, a motivating factor for them, I would imagine. Um, you know, where Apple doesn't have any, you know, Siri isn't directly tied to commerce uh, or advertising the way it is for these other products. So I, that's why I think maybe Apple has has not, uh, you know, pushed the pedal to the metal on Siri enhancements. But just because uh, being able to talk to your computer or your phone or your watch and have it do things for you is uh, an amazing, you know, future, again, Star Trek-type technology, I certainly want to see Apple continue to push the envelope there. And, and again, I'm not personally sold on the need for a standalone Siri device, but you know, hey, that's something that's been rumored that Apple's looking at. So it'd be interesting to see if maybe as a wild card, there's something like that. Well, uh, that's it. We, we've, we've crossed the half hour mark, so I'm going to sign off here. But I just want to thank you for joining me this week. And of course, we're going to find out exactly what Apple has to say next week at the Worldwide Developers Conference. And I'll be back, uh, hopefully, recording the episode that night to discuss what they actually did talk about and kind of break down and analyze some. So I hope you'll tune back in next time. Uh, you can listen to this on SoundCloud where it's hosted. You can subscribe on iTunes. And I'm actually working on setting up a YouTube channel so that you can um, listen to it that way as well. But uh, if you enjoyed the show today, I, I hope that you will uh, post something on social media, just uh, sharing it and letting people know that it's out there, helping me get the word out. That would be an amazing help to me. 
You can follow me on Twitter at JWSherrod, S-H-E-R-R-O-D, or you can follow the show at QuickTakeCast. And if you have any questions or anything you'd like for me to discuss on the show, let me know. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next week.